Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your hosts, Matt Strong and Allie Terry. Oh my gosh, you guys, we made it to 2020. I can't believe it. We have survived another year of being very haunted and now we're entering the new year with positive hauntings only. Positive hauntings only. Well, you're going to be very upset with the story I've chosen to tell you today. Also, that is inaccurate. We are not entering the year with positive hauntings only because I have a kidney infection. (laughs) Yeah, I brought Alyssa some counterattack zinc pills from Whole Foods, which should... I took two clear up that infection right away (laughs) yes that plus the antibiotics i'm on yes i have not had a kidney infection in seven years and it's it recurred it just came back i don't know i have no explanation the demons in my kidneys won't let me be i don't want to scare you but that's bad like people die from kidney infections i'm aware (laughs) (laughs) if you've had one that's like one too many so the fact that you've already had one and you have another one again I'm, you got to make some changes here, Alyssa. I, you know, there's a lot of changes in general I need to be making. And what better time than the new year? The new decade. The new decade. And also, now I'm on new antibiotics. Good for you. Because as I was telling you, Natalia, off air, I was prescribed the wrong antibiotics at first due to a snafu at the <laughs> urgent care. And they didn't realize their mistake for the first seven days of treatment until I called and was like, hey, I'm taking medication X and I've been taking it for seven days and it's almost out and I still feel just as terrible. And the nurse was like, are you sure you're not taking medication Y? I was like, no, I'm I'm positive. (laughs) And then it got all cleared up and now I'm on day three of the correct antibiotic. So if I die of sepsis, sue the urgent care off of Victoria Avenue in Ventura. I will not do that, but I will take your body and I will put it, I will have a (laughs) Viking burial for you. We will put your body on a pyre on a wooden ship that we spend six months making (laughs) from Redwood Pines in the California coast. And then we'll put your body, which we have frozen for the six months, on the pyre. (laughs) It's going to look so janky at that point. (laughs) We will send it out to sea off the coast of Malibu while singing songs from Valhalla. And then uh, you're just just lighting the pyre on fire as and my body's thawing out (laughs) as it's floating away. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's okay. the way that I'm gonna put two coins on your eyes too. That's really sweet of you. That your way people don't coin. have to see. Can you sew my mouth shut as well so that it's not like gaping open as I'm floating away? Yeah, I'll okay. do that for you. Thank you. You've, you've heard it here, guys. This is Alyssa's <laughs> dying request. When Natalia first came in, she said that I looked like a cancer patient, but that she didn't want to say anything at first in case no, I had cancer. You didn't look like a cancer patient. You look like you have cancer. Oh. Okay, so I'm I have cancer. I just don't know it yet. It's I, look, yeah. it's possible. I don't know. At this point, nothing would surprise me. Yeah, but you, who knows? Maybe those original antibiotics were actually healing you of something you didn't even know you had. Everything happens for a reason. I agree. If I get sepsis, it's because I deserve it. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> which I'm probably wrong. But sepsis is when your blood is like infected, right? Yeah, it's blood poisoning. Yeah, it's blood poisoning. So you you get that from taking the wrong medication. Well, you get it from having a uh, bacterial infection that goes untreated for too long. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, if I die, that's why. And it's all the fault of whoever. Uh, I don't think you're going to die. Care. I don't think so either. I think you're just too goddamn resilient. I'm the very resilient. <laughs> keeps 
like literally keeps trying to strike you down anyway and you just keep coming out and you're like ah I'm, I'm so glad you're putting that out of taking the wrong medication <laughs> yeah. but I just figured it out guys welcome back to my podcast yeah I know I was actually thank you for pointing that out the other day I was telling somebody I was like I think that the universe really doesn't want me to succeed but I just I keep doing it despite the odds right and you know what that me- is that is called being not, not Nick Cage, but when you're Liam, Liam Neeson, Neeson, when the yes. odds are against you, and you find the bad guy, you shoot forty guys in the span of three hours and rescue your daughter from sex trafficking. You are have no senses except for your hearing. Your hands are tied behind your back. You're in a location you don't know where you are. You're blindfolded, yet you hear gunshots and count the seconds between the gunshots to make a geographical map in your fucking mind. Yes. Echolocation. <laughs> What's that echolocation he was using? Know. I don't know. Yeah. It's I mean it sounds like it. I I wish I had the talent. You know what? I shouldn't say I wish. I'd have never been in that situation. Perhaps I could echolocate my way through a dungeon to find my kidnapped daughter. You won't know if you don't try. Let me have a daughter first. Then <laughs> I'm going to pay someone to kidnap her and then I'm going to try to echolocate her. Mm. Yeah, because maybe that's what it is, is it's like this part of your brain that you can't access until you're in extreme stress. You know how they say like mothers have this like... Yeah, where they can suddenly lift semi-trucks off of their baby. (laughs) (laughs) The baby might not survive that one. But But the important thing is that mom went into Hulk mode. Yes, exactly. And that's my 2020 New Year's resolution to um, access that part of my brain and go into Hulk mode. What is your 2020 resolution? You know what? I... I've been working on it a little bit before 2020, but I have been meditating every day for 30 minutes. That's awesome. Yes. And then I, before Christmas, quit drinking, but I had two drinks on uh, New Year's. You got to have something on New Year's. Yeah. I just, you know what, you guys, I'm so sick of feeling hung over the next day. It's awful. And feeling, it's not just a hangover. It's like in it's like a, the weirds we call it where it's like you're depressed and you're anxious and you're just like what am I doing with my life like why like why is everything the way it is like I'm just a piece of crap for like drinking when I have nothing to celebrate and I just don't want to feel that way anymore so I just gotta make changes. Well, also we're I know you know how dare I say this and remind us of this but we are technically in our late twenties and I feel like once you surpass the mid twenties is the point where your hangovers are no longer. Uh, a mild inconvenience anymore. Mm-hmm. Every time I get hungover, I immediately think I'm dying. But mm-hmm. I also think I'm dying like 90% yeah, of the time. Yeah, you might so actually be dying. I might actually be dying. <laughs> I might actually have like blood poisoning or alcohol poisoning and just be alive somehow. In the the 10 years that I've known Alyssa? No, no, no. It's been like eight years, right? Uh, we met, let's not say the year. We'll bleep out the year. 1945. <laughs> yeah. In the almost decade that I've known Alyssa, she has surpassed my expectations for what a human can endure. <laughs> we'll like all have a great night and like I'm like, oh, okay, that was super fun. And then I wake up the next day. It's like, you know, noon. I'm eating brunch or something. And then I like get a group text with Alyssa in it that's like, hey, guys, I'm in the hospital. I got bl- like, you know, alcohol poisoning last night. <laughs> I'm just like, what life is like, Alyssa living? did that happen like we drank the same amount yeah like I don't know I don't know I don't know I'm a special lady with special needs I also think when you're in your early 20s it's like encouraged to be a jackass 
class you're like oh if you're yes. not drinking and sleeping with a billion people and just being stupid and mm-hmm. you know throwing up on your friends and ruining <laughs> every relation you have are you even living you're not living you're not taking advantage of the experience uh, yes. of life come on yeah i know and i'm kind of just sick of like ruining everything just because i'm supposed to <laughs> natalia just last year we <laughs> we got real drunk and sang michelle branch in the middle of a road oh. i was upset with the uber driver for reasons unknown <laughs> and then we went back to steve's house and we oh, woke we him up him. and we ate his peanut butter and yeah. jelly and we threw the vape at him and we broke people up Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, we, we broke up a whole relationship yeah, last we were year. Blackout drunk, pretty much, and uh, it's not. That's not our fault. Yeah, it's not our fault. It's but, not our fault. But we did drunkenly burst into a room Oops. where a boyfriend and girlfriend were sitting together and start recounting all of the times that we had seen that boyfriend with other girls. <laughs> but we didn't. Look, we didn't know he had. In a girlfriend. our defense, we assumed. I assumed. If you are, if I see you with a new girl every single night. There's no way. There's no way you have a girlfriend. There's no way. And I just saw the girl there and I assumed you thought she it was, was the just same one girl. of the many girls. Yeah, they all look kind of the same. They especially. do. They're small. They're, they're small. Blonde. They're blonde. They're like 19. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's it. We don't want to give away too much information. We don't want to give away yeah. too much. That's okay. The guy is younger as well. Yeah. You know, let's not go into it. Yeah, let's just, let's not. <laughs> but we did that. And wow, have I never felt like such a huge dick the next morning. I was apologizing profusely to him the next day. But now that I think about it, I'm like, and we that's didn't do, his fault. And we didn't do the dishes. We showed up oh. at someone else's house to pregame who oh, was right. not even going out with us. <laughs> and we sorry, used, I just spit everywhere. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> and we used all of their like cups and stuff to oh, pregame no. with. We parked our cars in oh. their driveways <laughs> we slept on their couch we broke up their relationship oh well now that you're <laughs> phrasing it like that dishes. you're right it was none of our business and we strolled in there and we were just like remember that time you were fucking that other girl <laughs> <laughs> see you later yeah, by just sowing chaos the seeds of chaos and then just leaving I, yeah everything that is our mo <laughs> was destructive mode to, but now it's a new year. I know. And we're, you know, our sins of the past can't haunt us forever. Yeah. Yeah. So your New Year's resolution is to drink less? Drink. I think that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to, in general, like, waste less space on Earth, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that makes so sense. So I've been trying to eat less, move more, mm-hmm. like, live more sustainably, be really at like I haven't bought a lot of clothes like even though I was shopping with my mom and she kept being like this would be cute this would be cute I was like you know what no I don't like things aren't gonna make me happy at the end of the day the only thing that's gonna make me happy is doing what the fuck I want to be doing which is like trying to pursue a career and acting and working on my podcast and having relationships and going to sleep at like 10 p.m and like writing and producing stuff and so yeah I'm just like done being a douchebag i guess yeah that's good i think that's a great new year's resolution yeah. no douchebags 2020 yeah yeah so i don't know if i'll be as exciting or as funny yeah you will okay because you know what worst comes to worst we just talk about all the terrible things we've done in the past yeah we'll just invite the devil on to speak <laughs> just self-sabotage is yeah. basically we're always going to be a little bit um sabotaging ourselves i think that's in our nature whether or not we want to admit it but we can become better people while we self-sabotage yeah i just i want to sabotage the parts of myself that don't directly 
give back to humanity in a good way. You know? Right. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. You know, like what right. am I bringing to humanity? Well, we're bringing let's get haunted to humanity. Let's, let's do it. Let's. Well, but first I got to tell you um, my New Year's resolution. Boundary setting. Oh. I'm going to get better at it because historically I convinced myself that I'm okay with things that I'm not okay with. And it's never with friends. I feel like with friends... I feel like I, my group of friends, we've all known each other for so long that I feel like everything's real. fine. Yeah. yeah. But it's with family and then romantic relationships. I feel like I historically am just like, whatever's easiest, I'm just going to like go along with it. And 2020 is not the year of that anymore. 2020, I'm going to put my foot down sometimes and I'm going to say no. Good for you. We'll see if I actually Tell your family to fuck off. (laughs) Family, I fucking love you. Leave me the fuck alone. (laughs) I think a lot of people feel that way about their family. I know they just, they just really, they mean the best. And sometimes they just don't, they just do the worst, you know? Well, and I also think boundary setting with myself can be difficult sometimes. Mm. Like, I don't need to just do everything that feels good in the moment. I should think of like future consequences and like, is this actually in my best interest? Whereas sometimes I'll just be like, you know what? I don't care. I'm just going to do this. Like, for example, I have a kidney infection. I shouldn't be drinking alcohol right now. (laughs) Like 2019 Allie would have said, oh, who cares? I'm going to have a beer. 2020 Allie says, nah, I'm drinking water and taking my antibiotics and these pills you got me, these immune support pills. Yes. Good. Yeah. So you're, you're being a little less of a douchebag too. Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to. And you know what? Sometimes the worst kind of douchebag you can be is a douchebag to yourself. I agree. And I'm trying to not be a douche to myself this year. I'm going to take care of myself. Good. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be able to take care of yourself if you're going to take care of others. You know, it's like that when you're on the plane. And yeah. You, you, you can't yours. just like put your little air thing on the kid first because then what's the kid going to do? Yeah. You've got to put your oxygen mask on yourself first so that you can adequately help your child. Right. Yes. I agree with that. In that situation. Yeah. And I think everyone kind of has like the little angel on the shoulder and the little devil. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, I'm listening to the little devil. And so I'm going to try to give that angel some self-love. Good. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. the, The devil. Here's the thing. The devil is temptation right and in like yes. in the moment it seems like it you know i just watched pinocchio because i have disney plus for the trial so i could watch all of the mandalorian mm. and then delete it <laughs> but anyways there i watched pinocchio and it was like really about the consciousness yeah you know and he was talking about how temptation is like in the moment it feels right but it doesn't serve you in the long temptation run. island and pinocchio yeah exactly and they were literally just like breaking everything and mm. smoking a bunch of cigars wrestling and, and going crazy and, yeah. and just like throwing bricks through windows yeah. they literally turned into jackass they did and that's the point i'm at yeah. where i'm just the jackass with the kidney infection because i wasn't <laughs> taking care of myself so that's what i gotta do i gotta get i gotta be firm with myself about like bedtime Mm -hmm. because that's a problem I have I need to be firm with myself about drinking water you know what I'm gonna take a sip of water right now look at you go everybody I'm so inspired by this can you guys hear this ASMR (laughs) that was so pleasurable to them would people pay money to listen to that (laughs) yeah they want to hear you bang the side of your water bottle against their ear (laughs) that's their trigger like have you ever been smacked in the head with a water bottle <laughs> yeah, that's what they want. It's that's my favorite ASMR. I hope to one day find a partner that just hits me repeatedly in the head with a water bottle as I try <laughs> to go to sleep. Forget back scratches. 
<laughs> I just want a water bottle to the ear. Okay, I took a big sip. Good. And also, I wanted to tell you that on New Year's Eve, um, so I went over to James and Lauren's house, and I can't couldn't drink because kidney infection. So I did not drink. I played all the drinking games with a glass of water, mm. and then I ordered um, chicken, fried chicken. <laughs> for the party because I was sober and I was hungry and there's this picture of me uh, and my two HR friends that I invited just eating fried chicken on a couch while there's like people making out behind us oh that's so great yeah it was pretty good I love that I know it's like annoying to people who don't want to quit drinking so you guys can just like fast forward through all of this look we're not quitting drinking I'm not quitting drinking forever but it's just at right now I have a kidney infection I literally can't I'm quitting until I book my first acting job. There you go. That's what I decided. Will you will you still have like a little glass of wine on special occasions, do you think? No. I no? well, no. I had um I had champagne on New Year's and then I had a martini on New Year's. Someone made it for me and like Martinis it to are me. so classy. That's Yeah. I couldn't even finish it all though. They're strong. I only finished half of it. It was a lemon drop martini and then I had like the flute of champagne and I literally Alyssa, I kid you not, I fell asleep at 12:45. I believe it. We're getting we're in our late 20s. I fell asleep and I had and I it's because I just didn't I wasn't listening to that devil on my shoulder. Yes, that's so, right. No devil 2020. Well, also too I was like at a house party and then when you're not listening to the devil on your shoulder, you're just looking around and you're like, "Okay, I'm like I'm not that interested in what anyone's talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm not like there's nothing that interesting going on right now. I'm not going to like drink. I'm not going to smoke. I'm just going to go to sleep. I'm tired. Yeah. It was like, I actually for once listened to what my body wanted to do, which was go to sleep. How many times has that angel been on my shoulder being like, Natalia, you want to go to sleep right now? Or, you know, you want to not be here anymore. It's too loud. But instead, I'm just like, everyone else is doing it. Do it. You like it. Exactly. Yeah. Forcing yourself to like something when like really you would have just as good of a time in bed asleep. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You'd have a better time in my dreams. Yeah. Yeah. I drove back from Lauren and James's party on New Year's Eve. I drove all the way back to Ventura. And I was like looking around for checkpoints because I was like, fucking do it. Pull me over. I've had, I'm so well hydrated tonight. I'm so awake. Like I am not driving sleepy. I have had nothing in my system. I was like, all I have are these antibiotics that it turns out were the wrong ones. But I didn't know that yet. And I was like challenging the universe. I was like, fucking do it. Pull me over. And did they? No, there was, n- I didn't see a single cop. Wow. See, that, that's why I fucking hate this world. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, really, like all things considered, it's very convenient to yeah. not have to go through a DUI checkpoint. Yeah, no, it's good. But, but at the same time, I was like, do it. Yeah. Let me show it. you how hydrated I am. I was just really proud that I had so much water. Good. Like, I don't drink and drive. Neither of us drink and drive, but... Mm, I've really lived. Let me just say that. <laughs> I've really, really, really lived. I Okay, so I'm going to preface this. It's if not you hear cool me in the background, I'm drinking water. I'm, okay. Yeah, it's not cool to drink and drive, kids. But also, Grandma Natalia grew up in a time before Uber. The okay. time before Uber was the scariest time I can ever remember. <laughs> like there were times where you'd just be somewhere and you'd have no way to get home unless you walked. No. Yeah, exactly. Which we did a few times Yes, in we college. did. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Which happened. Uh, you know, at this point, I feel like I've lived, I've done 
all the drugs i've drank all the drink <laughs> i've done every festival if there's a fucking shitty type of music i've probably danced to it right right and like now i'm just like okay now i want to just try this wholesome lifestyle and see see what it's all about yeah why not we were talking about that before we went on the air too where it's like you know what at this point it's more of a shocker to my body to do something wholesome i know yeah like right? oh, what we're making a pot roast at 7 p.m <laughs> like what is this crazy life i'm living right it's like yeah. i get more of a dopamine adrenaline rush from you know like saying thank you to someone i don't know yeah I do. holding a door open for a stranger yeah, like, yeah exactly than i do from like doing crack with the people on the side <laughs> of the street you know what i was remembering the other day i was just thinking about like the absolute worst things like me at my peak like worst person ever the one time i jumped out of a moving car uh, i'm not gonna say his name we're gonna call him timothy (laughs) timothy timothy was driving me and i was dating timothy and we'll call the other guy kyle at the same time but they both knew about it. It was like a casual thing. And then Timothy was trying to make me choose between both of them. So rather than an choose, ultimatum. I jumped out of the moving car. Did you get hurt? No. And I just, I was drunk and oh. I just ran. You. And then I hitchhiked back to campus. The time before Uber. The time before Uber. That and was the, the guy time. that picked me up was like, you know that I could be a murderer. And I just remember being in the back seat like, I don't care. Take I, me back yeah. to campus. Yeah. 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 And he really did. Like that. He took me back to campus. We had people vote on the 2019 recap of season one of Let's Get Haunted. And I would like to read off the top five episodes as voted on by our listeners. Top five Alley episodes were number one. What do you think? Do y'all love past? Of course. Although of course. I've always said that. I've always spoken so highly of that episode and I will support that episode until the day that I die. Thank you, Natalia. The number two highest ranked was Haunted Ohio University. That was my, this is like the this, order that I voted for them in too. Oh, really? Yeah. I and, said, do y'all love and then Ohio University. What did you put for number three on your survey? Uh, let do me you remember. Th- let me think. Hold on. Uh, Setagaya? Setagaya was number five. Hmm. What else is there? Three is The Watcher. Oh, The Watcher. Yeah. I put The Watcher and then I put Setagaya and then I put, I can't remember what the last one was. Well, number four was Lost Lighthouse Keepers. I actually, um, if I had filled out this survey, I would have listed Jameson Family higher than Lost Lighthouse Keepers. But I do love Lost Lighthouse Keepers because I love mermaids. Those are the five that I voted for, but not in that order. Okay. Yeah. And then do you want to guess what your top five were? They were stupid. Everyone got it wrong. <laughs> what would you? What did you vote for your top five? Uh, definitely Lost Dutchman's Treasure, number one. Of course. We will never do better than Lost Dutchman's Treasure. Nazis and Antarctica, number I two. I voted for that one. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what the number one highest rated was. What? Elisa Lamb. No, I hate that one. I like that one. That one scared the shit out of me. The elevator game? Are you fucking kidding oh, me? Oh, yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah, that one was good. That one was scary. Okay, number two, MK Ultra, which was like a good historical story. And, you know, we love U.S. history on this podcast mk yeah mk ultra Roy was just a good one to shove in people's face when they're like well you can't prove and i'm like look what the government did yeah exactly this yeah. is confirmed yeah number three was the exorcism of annalise oh yeah four was staircase in the woods i was real i don't believe I'm surprised that. that that was a stupid ass episode yeah i don't there was such a big echo in the bathroom like yeah you, we, it was could, we couldn't even hear anything it was on a bathroom floor <laughs> which is why did we do that in retrospect why didn't we just go in your closet or something like why did we choose the bathroom i didn't have a closet that was the oh, only closed space i had oh you're right okay yeah and then number five was the mothman i agree oh, mothman I is Moth- definitely top five mothman was great mothman is 
I was listening to Mothman. I was like MIA most of December, but I listened to the Mothman episode when I was driving and I was laughing so hard. I feel like that was one of the funniest episodes we've done. Yeah, my parents listened to it and we were in the car also driving and they were laughing so hard at like <laughs> that. that's the way that I wrote that story. And then you kept being like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. They thought it was really funny. Or the part where there was one part, I don't remember if it was you or me, that our, we were just like, so the Mothman is essentially just like a homeless man jerking off like flying right. through the night or whatever like, oh yeah there was, I was so laughing many so hard it's literally mothman was so funny and then i feel like you know this will uh, this episode will definitely be used against us because also we used my dad as like an interview <laughs> reference and like what else sounds more like i live in my you know parents, parents basement, basement than yeah but this, i interviewed it was a real my dad story. for a podcast about <laughs> I the loved it. i support it i loved it so those were the top five ali and top five nat for 2019 for season one baby great good for us yeah uh, staircase in the woods guys i don't believe that if you voted for staircase in the woods tell us why and it's not because i didn't like that story it's because the echo was so severe yeah i want to know why but i guess diatlov pass also had a severe echo because elisa lamb was our first one Mm -hmm. at the sugar pine studio oh right yeah r.i.p yeah r.i.p sugar pine that was the best we ever sounded on this podcast because we had actual like permanent setup right yeah Alyssa. Yes, Natalia. What is your biggest fear? Dying. Okay. Perfect segue. <laughs> is that, was that the correct answer you were looking yeah, for? Yeah, actually. Perfect segue into my story today. All right. So do you feel like this fear of death uh, like, is a quality that sh- defines and shapes the way that you live? Yeah. Yeah. I would say more often than not, yes. Right. You're going to live more cautiously. You're going to, you know, you're going to be like, oh, that exit... I'm going, you know, a little too fast to make that exit. It's fine. I'll take the next exit and then do a U-turn and get back on the freeway and then get back on that route and then get off on the exit I was supposed to be on just because it's safer. Right. Sometimes. (laughs) Other times I'm like, I may or may not die tomorrow of this kidney infection. So I should then jump, go bungee jumping, you know, like something stupid like that. But more often than not, it's erring on the side of caution. But sometimes it goes the opposite direction of YOLO. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So... The spirit of adventure also runs through your blood, some could Sometimes. Say. Sometimes. Cool. Is this a treasure story? It is not oh, damn a it. treasure story. This is, or wait for it, the story of the ghosts on Mount Everest and or aliens. What? Yeah. Were you aware that- No. Were you aware that Mount Everest is haunted as fuck? Well, at, actually, now that you say that, it makes sense because I know that a lot of people have died on Mount Everest. Yes. So it does make sense that it would be haunted. So but I never thought about it before. Usually I start off a story without telling you exactly what the story is and then kind of build up to it. In order for this story to just run smoothly, I'm just going to lay out some things that you just have to believe and these are just the facts okay okay i'm ready mount everest is a living mountain god it's also calls to you perhaps to climb it because perhaps it wants your soul okay okay and also there might be bigfoot yetis there oh i believe that right there also might be aliens at the top no one knows for sure i've never been there so i i'm sure yes yeah okay if I haven't seen it, then I just assume aliens are there. Until I can confirm that aliens are not there with my own two eyes, I assume aliens are there. Today, I'm going to tell you the story of Mount Everest 
and prove to you that this is a haunted mountain. Okay. But first, I need you to understand the history of the mountain. Okay? I'm ready. So Mount Everest is, guess what? A mountain. <laughs> it is, is more specifically, right? yes. That's No, that's right. <laughs> the tallest mountain in the world. Oh, yes. I and should have said that. Beckons climbers from all over the globe to summit its 29,029 foot peak. Okay. It's officially recorded at 8,848 meters. The summit of Mount Everest is just a few hundred meters lower than the cruising height of a jet airliner. Did you know that? No. So the next time you're flying in a plane, look out the window. And Mount Everest would be higher? Mount Everest would be right there. That, I don't like that. It, that's crazy, right? Yeah, I don't like that. It's at 30,000 feet, basically. Yeah, uh uh-uh. I mean, I my other greatest fear besides death is flying, so I hate airplanes. Yeah, it's like a tube in the sky. Yeah, it's a metal tube in the sky, and then to look out and see something solid at your eye level that you could crash into, I'm not a fan of. So here... I don't trust anything that high. Wait, what? <laughs> I don't trust... Now that you've put that into perspective of how high Mount Everest is, I suddenly don't trust it. Why is it that high? Who created it? Exactly. No one What was knows. the purpose? No what? one knows. Look, excess is bad. Anything in excess is bad. Creating something that tall? Unnecessary. It's freaking me out just yes. thinking about it. I have vertigo right now. So Mount Everest was first identified during the Great Trigonometrical Survey of the Himalayas in 1841, and it was named Peak 15. Andrew Scott Waugh declared it the world's highest mountain in 1856 and renamed it after Colonel George Everest, who began the survey but retired and never actually saw the mountain. So Mount Everest is named after someone who never even saw it. What was his name again? Say it. Repeat his name. Colonel George Everest. George Everest. Okay. Yeah. Many people still prefer to call it by its traditional names, either its Tibetan name of Chamolungma, meaning mother goddess of the universe, or oh, wow. its Nepalese name Sagamrata, meaning goddess of the sky. There is, at best, just a couple of weeks window of opportunity to climb Everest each year because most of the time the jet stream, which is what we fly airplanes with, is sitting on top of the summit, bringing with it winds of over 320 kilometers per hour. How many miles per hour is that? No one knows. Okay. <laughs> Twice a year in May and November, it moves north and the things calm down. But with negative 30 C temperatures in winter compared to negative 20 C in late spring, most climbs are done within just a couple of weeks in May. Okay. Everest itself has been summited over 8,000 times by 4,833 different people. And of those almost 5,000 people, 288 people have died trying to get up to the top of Mount Everest. 288 throughout 288. history? 288, yes. And that's just what they have on record. Right, yeah. So who knows? Maybe some joker tried to climb it. Yeah. On, you, you know, uh, or before records were kept, I'm sure more people tried to climb and there just was no record kept of it. So here's the thing about Mount Everest. The error at the summit it contains just one third of the oxygen in the air at sea level. So it takes you three breaths towards the summit to get the same amount of oxygen you would get if you were on the ground. Okay. So that's probably why people have the supplemental oxygen, right? Yes. Okay. So very, very few people try to climb it without using supplementary oxygen. In fact, 97.5% of all summits have been achieved with it. 
Climbers usually begin to use bottled oxygen just below the death zone at 8,000 meters, but given the weight of the tanisters, there's a limit to the amount they can use, so it only gives enough to make it feel like it's at 7,000 meters. As a result, many suffer from high-altitude cerebral edema, or HAS, I'm going to call it, H-A-C-E, leading to slurred speech, confusion, reduced coordination, hallucinations, and poor decision-making. None of which are good in the death zone. This just sounds like me (laughs) in 2019. Just poor decisions, disoriented. Hallucinations. Yeah. Reduced coordination. Mm -hmm. Slurred speech. Wow. Maybe I've just had this Haas the whole time. Right? And I'm 100% sure that you're not supposed to say Haas, but that's what I'm doing. Haas like the avocado. avocado. Yeah. Yeah. We're Californian. The reason it's called the death zone is because of that. Once you get up into that space, nothing can live there. Like there's no human that can survive there. You have to get out of that space after a few, you know, you can't be up there too long. So people who try to summit Mount Everest, there's a time crunch, right? You're trying to beat the weather. You're trying to conserve your oxygen. You're trying to conserve heat. And you're also, you have to do tons of planning ahead for this, okay? So there are two ways that you can die on Mount Everest. Can you guess the two ways? Okay, one, run out of oxygen. Two, freeze to death. Three, fall off the mountain. Those are three, but those are (laughs) accurate. So I guess maybe there's... Oh, wait, no. They fall in two categories. Oh, okay. oh, okay. So there's what we call traumatic death, which occur due to avalanches, snowstorms, a fall, or non-traumatic death, which occur due to exhaustion. So oh, that gotcha. Would be okay. Running out of oxygen. Freezing to death. Freezing to death. Exactly. So though you may think that traumatic injuries happen more often on Everest, that's actually not the case. More people die by these non-traumatic deaths. They're the most common. So some climbers become exhausted and then they sit down, which is their fatal mistake. Because once you sit down, the blood stops running around. You're also probably suffering from this Haas where you don't really know what's going on. And you're starting to, it's basically like you're really drunk. Okay. Because you have less oxygen going to your brain. Others develop conditions related to the high altitude, so altitude sickness. And then these climbers, if they don't stop because they're tired, then they fall behind and your group leaves you behind and you, you know, risk getting to the top of the mountain too late and then the sun possibly going down or the weather getting worse. It's just like so many things can go wrong that you literally don't take any chances, you know? Right. A lot of these climbers too, they will start climbing up to the top and then they don't want to sit because they know if I sit down or if I stop, there's a chance of me dying or I might not be able to make it to the summit today. And, you know, I have to get back on a plane in three days or whatever it is. They get this, what we call summit fever, which is where they want it so bad that they're exhausted, but they're like, I can't sit down. I just have to make it up there. Right. I just have to do this. You know, I posted on Facebook, said I was going <laughs> to climb Mount Everest. I spent like, a th- you know, $30,000 to hire this Sherpa. Sherpa and guide or whatever. I can't stop now. I'm, it's going to, this is like literally the only thing people are ever going to talk to me about is didn't you almost get to the top of Mount Everest? Right. Yeah. Instead of saying, oh, here's a picture of me at the summit. Yeah, exactly. So now you have the basics, right? Okay. So let me recap what you just said. Mount Everest, highest, tallest mountain in the world. And it's It's, it's actually not the highest, but it is most haunted mountain in the world. Okay. So let me recap. It is a tall mountain (laughs) that is the most haunted mountain in the world. You said something like uh, between two and 300 people have 
died there that, that we know yeah, of. Approximately 288. And that was in 2017. And the death toll goes up every year. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And then the two main ways that you can die are traumatic and non-traumatic. Right. Okay. That's what I basically said. And the said. most common is non-traumatic. Is Yes. It's from being in this death zone. Okay. okay. So the name of this Himalayan range derives from the Sanskrit Himalaya or Himalaya, which translates to abode of the snow from Hima, snow, and Alaya, which is like receptacle or dwelling. The Himalayan range is one of the youngest mountain ranges on the planet, and it's still active. It consists mostly of uplifted sedimentary and metamorphic rock. And according to the modern theory of plate tectonics, its formation is a result of continental collision along the convergent boundary between the Indo-Austrian plate and the Eurasian plate. It grows every single year. It's still super active. The Himalayan population also in this area has four distinct cultural groups who throughout history have systematically penetrated and isolated the indigenous Himalayan population. Remember that, okay? Okay. So those migrating cultures, which are Hindu uh, or Indian, most likely, Buddhist, Tibetan, Islamic, which is Afghanistan and Iranian, and animist, which is Burmese and Southeast Asian. So those four different migrating cultures have created their own individual and unique culture. And their current arrangement, with a few exceptions, is linked to specific geographical regions and the relative altitude of which they occur. For example, in Jainism, Mount Ashtapad in the Himalayas is a sacred place where the first Jain Tirthankara Rishabhadeva attained moksha. It's believed that after he attained this moksha or nirvana, oh, okay. his son, Emperor Baharatava, had constructed three three stupas and 24 shrines with their idols studded with precious stones over there and then named it. So basically that story is that these, this culture believed that the first person of their religion attained nirvana and then set up the shrines that are still there today. Does that make sense? Yes, I get it. So you can go to these shrines and you're like, how do these shrines get here? And then you're like, oh, right. This dude got nirvana, achieved nirvana. He got then- nirvana'd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he got nirvana That's my 2020 New Year's resolution. Get nirvana Get nirvana And then for the Hindus, the Himalayans are personified as the father goddess of Parvati. The Himalayas are also considered to be the father of the river Ganges. Two of the most sacred places of pilgrimage for the Hindus are the temple complex that are in the Himalayas and then also the Ganges River. So again, super significant spot for the Hindus. The Buddhists also lay a great deal of importance on the mountains of the Himalayas. Parotaksang is a holy place where Buddhism started in Bhutan. And it's also a place of pilgrimage for the Tibetan Buddhists. So the Tibetan Buddhists believe that the trees in the popular grove came from the walking sticks of 84 ancient Indian Buddhist magicians. Whoa. They they consider those walking sticks to be representatives of the Tibetan serpent deity known as Gawo Jagpa. This sounds like really cool to me. It is really cool. That's what I'm basically trying to get at is that... This is an area of high energy. There's a lot of supernatural forces. I mean, we've got a fucking dragon. And also, when have you ever heard of a Buddhist having a dragon? That's tight as fuck. Today. Yeah. Yeah. I thought they were like chill, like just don't care about dragons kind of people. (laughs) And apparently I was really wrong. Well, damn. We're learning something new. So also there's this thing called the Yeti. Do you know what a Yeti is? Yeah. Are you going to tell us? (laughs) Okay, a Yeti, this is my layman's understanding of what a Yeti is. It is a Arctic cryptid 
that is normally depicted in popular culture as a white, furry, half-man, half-beast mm. that roams through snowy mountains, who might may or may not be a close cousin to the Bigfoot, which is brown and furry and hangs out in, like, forests. Right. That's very similar. So the only thing is the Yeti is not Arctic. The Yeti would be where the Himalayas are. Okay. So the Yeti, or also known as the Abominable Snowman, is a folkloric ape-like creature taller than the average human that's said to inhabit the Himalayan mountains. The names Yeti and Meta are commonly used by the people indigenous to this region and part of their history and mythology. Stories of the Yeti first emerged as a facet of Western popular culture in the 19th century, but the scientific community has generally regarded the Yeti as a legend, given the lack of evidence of its existence. Once people started climbing this Mount Everest, they started finding some real fucking crazy shit that made them believe Yetis are on Mount Everest. Like like Bigfoot tracks? Like Yeti tracks? Yes. I'm going to show you a photo of something. You tell me what this looks like. Okay. Oh, that's a Yeti foot. Yeah. Look at how big that big. Okay, let me describe it for people that aren't looking at this. So there is a track in the snow and somebody has taken a photo of it. And for scale, they put their pickaxe, like their ice pick next to it. And so imagine the size of like a big old pickaxe. And the foot is like larger than that pickaxe. And it has one, two, three, four. I count four toes and the big toe is fucking huge. So once people start climbing Mount Everest and... They're getting up into this death zone and they're, you know, being like, oh, it's really hard to get to the top of there. And then they're also passing all of these Tibetan shrines and all of this like haunted stuff. And they're hearing about all these haunted tales of hauntings that are haunting. They're like, <laughs> that well, are haunted. Yeah. yeah. They're like, maybe, maybe I'm going to find this haunting, you know, just take it into their own hands. So beginning in 1957, this guy named Tom, Tom Slick funded a few missions to investigate these Yeti reports. In 1959, supposed Yeti feces were collected by one oh. of Slick's expeditions. Fecal analysis found a parasite which could not be classified. So an unknown parasite was found in a dump taken by a <laughs> Yeti. <laughs> right, but if you think about how significant each of our microbiome, microbiome, Biome. microbiome is <laughs> that's in our gut and in our intestines as a species, like if you were to take fecal matter from humans and take from dog, you would be able to tell this is a dog and this is a human because right. our like bioprint or whatever is so specific to our species. That's exactly. like, did you ever hear about the, the um, person that kept taking dumps on this high school track what and they were they analyzed it because they thought it was a dog at first and they were like no this is human fecal matter and then they finally caught the person that was just shitting every single morning on this track because they installed cameras it was the principal (gasps) that is so funny it was either the principal or the superintendent i don't remember what it was like someone really high up in the school system what how were they doing that well they said well it's just that i go jogging every morning and when i jog i have to take a dump but everyone everyone else was like yeah but you have the keys to the bathroom that's at that track so why would you just take a shit in the middle of the track? Wow. Yeah. Wow. He did not expect them to pull up the receipts. No, like he didn't. That's something that you <laughs> should never have to explain why you chose to poop somewhere. And not even, this isn't just like a one time thing. This was like every day for a year, somebody was yeah. shitting on this track. And finally they installed, covertly installed like a camera that was facing the track and they caught, I think it was the superintendent. That's, 
you gotta wow you know i don't i'm not even mad i just want to <laughs> talk to him i want to know i want to be like what was this like a fetish or a kink yeah or was this just he just he, jogged yeah. i guess it was just extreme laziness yeah it must have been yeah he was just so tired from his jogs i think it was like probably a kink like he probably <gasps> he was wanted like, people to look at his poop yeah somebody's got to get turned on by that why though i don't know why does some people get turned on wearing diapers like oh. you know there's just some stuff i know but i could uh, the diaper thing it's like you're putting on you know don't tell me you understand outfit. a diaper <laughs> well you can see their legs like that's it's still putting a poop there's nothing sexual at all about pooping some people like when you poop on them have you ever watched my strange addiction or like any barcroft or vice documentary ever there's people out there that just want you to shit on them really yeah but why? Because like, it's warm? I don't What is I it? don't know. They like it when you poop on them. I'm closing this document. I just want to know more about this <laughs> yeah, story this that is, you're telling me. We're going to rename the episode uh, Poop Fetishes. <laughs> Haunted Poop Fetishes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I guess I have a question then. Is it... Am I being an asshole if I'm like, no, that's not real. Those people are mentally ill? I don't know because I've never met someone with a poop fetish. Is that like a... Le- is that legal? Yeah. It's legal to poop on someone. It, it's is America, it Natalia. You can poop on for someone. a long time. You butt sex was illegal, so right. But in the privacy of your own home, you are allowed <laughs> to poop on another man's chest or another woman's <laughs> chest. <laughs> well, I guess I am a little. I I'm proud that we can have that choice. Yeah, we should be able to. We have should that have a choice. choice. You know what? Free free will. <laughs> Okay, wait, to bring it back to Yetis real quick. Fuck, Mary kill. Mothman, Yeti, or um, <laughs> Goobay. Well, Goobay is like literally a cement. Like, I think I will die. No, the, her ghost. Oh, her ghost. Well, let's see. Fuck, Mary kill. Well, I'm gonna... Uh, man, Mothman. <laughs> if you had a bag big enough to put over that head of <laughs> his... His head is so disturbing. Yeah, though. he has really nice legs, though. Okay. I mean, they were the most human-like, I think. I mean, if you're having sex with the Mothman, will he, like, fly you around for fun? Yes. I'm going to say yes. So I'm going to say marry the Mothman then. Okay. Because I would like to just fly around And you can back. teleport and stuff. Yeah. And he would be like, hey, some fucked up shit's about to ha- There's about to be a big-ass tornado. You want to go look at yeah, it? Yeah. Let's go show up in someone's TV. So then I guess my I have to either fuck the Yeti or kill... Kill... Goobay. Kill Goobay. It's the ghost of Goobay and, and the Yeti. Which one do you want to fuck and which one do you want to kill? I'm going to fuck the Yeti. You're going to fuck the Yeti? Well, I I mean, he's got a cave, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe he has a home. The ghost of Goobay is just like... She's already dead, though. How can you kill her? I just... It's just not a sexy thing to me. Yeah. You I know, mean, like, something about having sex with the Yeti seems, like, sort of forbidden and, like, you might die. Like, I'm, he mean, might just, like, claw your face, like, <laughs> up and kill you. The danger is what does it for you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Where sex with a ghost is like. But then it's like the movie Ghost with Patrick no, Swayze. No, that's a relationship, Alyssa. Oh. Okay, fine. They you. still fuck. Let's see you. Well, you have to give me three different characters because otherwise this is not an interesting conversation. Fuck you. <laughs> give me three different ones. Um. Okay. The Watcher. Okay. Alien. Doppelganger. Abe Lincoln. So it's not real Abe Lincoln. Okay. It's just this evil doppelganger. Yeah. Okay. And then the Watcher. Okay. I would marry the Watcher and I'm going to tell you why. (laughs) (laughs) 
I want to know who the fucking watcher is. And he writes so beautifully. Like, I have to have him. I need to know who he is. I just want to keep him. Yeah. I want him to write me love poetry and like stalk me, but in a way that is healthy. Right. Because we live together. We're married. He just like cares a lot. Would he be obsessed with your body the same way that he is with yes, the house? Yes, I'm gonna say yes because that's the Ew. whole thing that I want. And then, <laughs> Ew. and then I would. Okay, wait. So I marry the Watcher. I fuck. Who? What were my other choices? An alien and what was the other? Alien one? and bad doppelganger Abe, Abe. Oh, well, real Abe Lincoln was gay. Did you know that? I was reading something the other day. Apparently, how he was did gay they know that? Because he had like a live-in boyfriend, even though he was married to Mary Todd. Oh, that doesn't make you gay. That just makes you buy real like sex a lot. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, are you going for yeah, like you a pansexual angle? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, but I was gonna say, so evil doppelganger Abe is supposed to be the opposite, right? So he would be he would like, hate the sex. straight. Oh, I was gonna say the straightest of straight. Oh yeah, he would be super straight. Yeah, just like like militant straight to the point where it's like scary. Right. Like um like really chauvinistic. Yeah, like he won't let you drive cuz that's gay. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd probably kill him and then I would fuck the alien cuz I can't kill the alien. If like if I get the opportunity to see an alien yeah, have- and what I do is kill it, I'm the worst person on earth. Yeah, and that marriage, you don't know how to make that work. No. No, we don't even speak the same language. You would the alien would probably think you were so fucking stupid. Like, be like my wife is literally like I can't even have a conversation with her because she only has five senses. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she can't even open up the portal of her fifteenth butthole <laughs> to, like... <laughs> to stimulate my third eye. Yeah. <laughs> her fifteenth butthole. <laughs> oh God. Okay. okay. All right. So basically, Tom Slick, he finds this feces that has this parasite that can't be classified. So then the U.S. government actually thought the Yeti existed. So that makes me automatically believe it. So they made three rules for any American expeditions that were searching for it. One, they obtain a Nepalese permit and then don't harm the Yeti except in self-defense. Okay. Which I kind of feel like it's immediately going to be self-defense. Yeah, yeah. Someone's just automatically going to try to capture. Yeah. yeah, if you try to capture something, it's going to fight back, right? Of course. And then also number three, let the Nepalese government approve any news reporting on the animal's discovery. So that actually sounds like the U.S. government for once was trying to respect another country. I know it's so weird. I don't think. Yeah, there's some catch that I'm just not understanding. And then in 1959, this actor named James Stewart, while visiting in India, reportedly smuggled something called the Pan Bachi Hand by concealing it in its luggage when he flew from India to London. Do you know what that is? The Pan Bachi Hand? Pan Bachi Hand. I, I'm not sure. No, it was no, a I don't know what that is. Skeleton Hand that was in a Indian shrine that supposedly belonged to a Yeti. Really? Yeah, so this guy was kind of a dick. Yeah, this guy's a super dick. He just goes and raids like a religious shrine and takes a... Wow. It was like a relic that had been there for, you know, like forever. What was this guy's name? James Stewart. James Stewart. Anytime someone's being a fuckhead in any of these stories, we should just call them like the James Stewart of the day. Yeah, I mean, in his defense, he was like, 
I can't let these Indians keep this secret. You In know? his defense. I, I have to tell everyone. <laughs> that this is a Yeti hand. That there's a Yeti hand. He couldn't just like take a photo of it. Is it is it a human hand? Did they run studies on so it? So they run studies on it and they found that it was close to a human hand, but they couldn't say specifically that it was a human hand. They were like, this is super close to a human hand. <laughs> and then they gave it back. Oh, he gave it back? Yeah. Oh. He had to. All right. Somebody made him. Good for that person that made him. And then in 1960, Sir Edmund Hillary mounted an expedition to collect and analyze physical evidence of the Yeti. Hillary borrowed a supposed Yeti scalp from the monastery and then brought the scalp back to London, where a small sample was cut off for testing. They made a detailed examination of the sample of skin and hair from the margin of the alleged Yeti scalp, and they compared it with similar samples from a sarrow, a blue bear, and a black bear. They concluded that the sample was probably made with the skin of an animal closely resembling the sampled specimen, but definitely not identical with it. So they could tell it was some sort of animal, but they couldn't tell what kind of animal. Yes. So they just assumed, you know what, this is probably an animal that lives up in these mountains and it's, you know, it's at this altitude that no, like nobody's just fucking chilling in these mountains. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So like they can't survive. You can't survive. Yeah. So like, how are you going to find, how are you going to have samples to uh, compare the sample with of this animal that perhaps nobody's ever discovered? My point being though, we have scientific evidence. We have a scalp, we have this hand and we have... (laughs) A picture of footprints. <laughs> so, That's all the science I need. Case closed. Now, the case of these footprints is arguably the best evidence of real yetis because we have accompanying the photographs an interview with the person who took photos, the Himalayan mountaineer, Eric Shipton. Okay. You have like a video of it? It's. I'm going to read you the video. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the glaciers on the Menlung Basin at a height of about 19,000 feet. That late one afternoon, we came across those curious footprints in the snow. We did not follow them further than was convenient, a mile or so, for we were carrying heavy loads at the time, and besides, we had reached a particularly interesting stage in the exploration of the basin. These particular ones seemed to be very fresh, probably not more than 24 hours old. We had no doubt whatever that the creature was had made the tracks were yetis or wild men. There had been at least two walking side by side i have the chills so now there's three ways you can die on everest a fucking some crazy weather thing like an avalanche or falls on you or you get exhausted or a yeti might just come and take you i think if you're gonna go out any of those ways the yeti one would be the best for like the advancement of mankind because your fellow climbers could watch you get taken out by the yeti and then now you have another eye like first hand account of a yeti sighting so the most probably haunted thing about mount everest is there's tons of dead bodies just laying across it everywhere on the path yes that's what i've heard yeah so it has become the climbers are wearing really bright clothes so that it's easier to see uh, them in the snow so when you get to the death zone you get exhausted you sit down to catch your breath and then you die you freeze to death you can't get back up you can't get back up whatever you can't no one can take your body off of the mountain because two things happen one you're frozen to the ground so they try to remove you and you literally stick to the ground and it's like more graphic to pull apart a body yeah that makes sense the second thing that happens is because they're frozen they weigh a lot 
So you already have people who aren't supposed to be in this death zone trying to get a body down from a place where it was already shouldn't have been there you know so they're trying to kind of like save themselves it's really expensive and dangerous to take these bodies down so what people opt to do is they just cover them up with snow and give them you know like a a little burial the best that they can do but then the weather there is so crazy that snow just blows off these bodies anyways so they call it the rainbow valley because when you look across the dead zone you just see all of these there's 288 dead bodies laying around that yeah so like everyone's different colored snow suits yeah just reflecting and some of these have become trail markers for people because they're on the trail you know mm-hmm. this person because when you're exhausted and you know you have possibly a chance of dying you're not going to wander far off the trail to rest you're going to sit on the trail and sit down and you're going to be like you know what i'm not going to move from here that way you know I people won't get can left find behind. me or i can get back up and follow the trail again right well what happens is the people do find you frozen exactly where you set and then they have to step over your dead body so the most famous of these stories is green boots have you heard of green boots i have heard of green boots can you tell me what you know of green boots okay this is what i know of green boots he was a climber and he was part of a party he got into the dead zone and then he went to sit down i want to say in like a little like cave almost and his feet were sticking straight out. His group, um, he told them to go on without him. And that, and they left him with some oxygen, I believe. And then another group comes along and sees him there. And they can tell that he's still alive. But they end up not, like, taking him with them. Because they think he's going to die anyway. Yeah, because he's, I mean, like you said, that's yeah. what happens. And it's going to be more cumbersome to try to, like, grab this person and you know, take them back down. And also this group has summit fever and they're trying to get to the top. And I think also one person in that group was like one of the first disabled climbers ever. And so he, there was no way that he was going to be able to do it. And then, uh, but it became super controversial because that group survived. And then people were saying like, why didn't you stay with him? He, if you knew he was still alive, but like there was no way that this disabled climber was going to be able to do that. That's exactly right. So the deceased man is known as Green Boots, but his real name may be Tsuang Pal Jor. And we're not exactly sure who it is because like you said, he was in a group and he wasn't the only person who went missing, but his body and two other bodies were never found. So they assume that perhaps this is him. It could be two other people. Okay. The body is now a landmark on the main Northeast Ridge route of the mountain. In death, Green Boots has become a guide for the living. Green Boots' identity has always been hotly contested. He is widely believed to be the Indian climber Tsuang Paljor. Paljor was part of a high-class Indian expedition to summit Everest that yielded only one survivor, Harbhajan Singh. Singh recalled that the expedition was marred by mistakes, and he had urged the other three men to abandon their quest due to inclement weather heading in. But Singh suspects that those men succumbed to summit fever. Summit fever is a term used when a climber's abandon thoughts of safety and often their own morals because they're close to reaching the summit and become blinded by the drive to cross the finish line over all else. Quote, don't be overconfident, Singh had insisted. Quote, listen to me, please come down. The sun is going to set. And while the men continued on and eventually did end up reaching the summit, they encountered a terrible blizzard of 1996 on the trek back down. With zero visibility and a fury of wind and snow, Paljor and his two comrades were lost to the mountain. Creepily enough, passing climbers occasionally pose with the dead body, green boots, and take pictures with it. That's too much. And David Sharp, a fellow mountaineer, famously died of hyperthermia right next to green boots' body. 
As a reporter from the BBC once stated, when Mount Everest takes a life, it also keeps it. The number of bodies on Everest grows every year from climbers who lose their lives on its slopes. Causes of death include hypothermia, exhaustion, lack of oxygen, and falls, among other realities. Once the bodies are frozen, they become attached to the hillside, and on Everest they stay, permanently. One of Everest's most famous residents, Green Boots, fell victim to the deadliest day in Everest history, resides at that particular location on the mountain where most hikers must pass. As a result, Green Boots on Everest has become one of the landmarks for those heading up the slopes. And so this Green Boots is in this little cave where a lot of people do stop and rest because it's like this little alcove that's right next to the path. So you can still see the trail and people can still see you, but you have basically a rock that's shielding you from the wind. Mm-hmm. So it is sort of the perfect per- place to sit down and rest. So he Green Boots passed away at 8,500 meters. So it's only 500 meters up from the start of the death zone. So climbers know when they see him just how close they are to the summit of the mountain. So when you see Green Boots, you're like, I'm so close. I'm almost there. And before he was there, it was that little alcove cave. And you saw the little cave and you're like, I'm not going to stop. I'm almost there. So it was 20 years and five days after the death of Green Boots that David Sharp passed away in the same cave. That was who you were talking about earlier. Trekking alone, Sharp succumbed to hypothermia as up to 40 other trekkers passed him in an area known as the death zone. Reports say that many of the other climbers failed to offer him assistance, either believing him to be green boots or taking him to have already been dead. By the time people discovered Sharp needed help, it was too late. And then at the request of his family, Sharp was moved a year later. So there's kind of like this unwritten code of climbers where you're supposed to help other people and abandon your mission if somebody needs help that makes sense yeah but value human life above all else above the glory of a photo at the top of a mountain exactly and on Everest, that doesn't happen for a multitude of reasons. Like we were talking about, people are worried for their own safety or they want to, you know, get to the summit or they paid a bunch of money to get there. So that basic karma kind of goes to the wayside. And a lot of these super religious people who revere this mountain as like the super sacred place, they have shrines all over it. Even at the top of Mount Everest, there's a Tibetan shrine, mm-hmm. right? So they all believe if you are behaving, listening to the devil on your shoulder right if you're not helping other people then you're you're basically cursed so some of those people think that this mountain is cursed and then that's why so many people die because they're just you know chasing after basically like fool's gold Mm -hmm. trying to get to the top so here's a photo of green boots in the cave oh it's so sad it is really sad and they can't get his body down because it's too expensive and it's too hard to get him down right it takes the work of multiple sherpas usually six to eight who have to put their own lives at risk and it costs thousands of dollars so so people like i said they just cover him up Mm -hmm. here's a video of someone exploring this cave and then people are like taking photos and posting videos and stuff up of you know, these dead bodies. Like, that's such bad vibes, Yeah, right? that is bad vibes. Okay, so this guy's climbing. Yeah, there he is. And you can see his green boots poking out from the cave. Wow. So the body of Green Boots is facing away from the cameraman. It's facing into the cave. Cameraman's coming around. Why did they add this music in the background? This guy's got some balls. I know. 
I would just be so afraid that that body would just like pop up, l- pop up. I know. Take and, my and soul. People, people are taking breaks and they're stopping to pause next to this body. Can you imagine being so tired and then you're just sitting down and you're already like, man, I'm tired. And then you look at someone who was in the exact same place that you were at who thought the exact same thing and they died and they're there forever no i can't imagine it's so scary so there's a bunch of these bodies and they all have different stories another one of them is hannah lore schmatz schmatz was on an expedition via the southeast ridge route with her husband when she died at 8,300 meters Gerard Smotch, her husband, was the expedition leader. He had 50 years of age at the time, and he was the oldest man to summit Everest. On the same expedition was American Ray Gannett, who almost died while descending from the summit. Exhausted from the climb, they stopped at 28,000 feet as the night approached, despite the Sherpa guides telling them not to stop. Ray Gannett later died that night, and both the Sherpa and Schmatz were distressed, but decided to continue their descent. So can you imagine that? Like, somebody from your group literally dies. There's your, four Your of you. literal wife is one of those people that dies, and you can't stop and take her body down. Yeah. So Ray Gannett, this guy, he dies, and then the Sherpa and Schmatz were distressed, but they decided to go down anyways. Then at 27,000 feet, which was only 1,000 feet lower... Schmatt sats down and says, water, water to her Sherpa and then died. So, so sad. I know. And then the Sherpa remained with her body and as a result, lost most of his fingers and toes. Jesus. So she's like, water, water, I need water. And he sits down with her and he's just like, you know what? I'm going to stay with her because he's feeling like I have to put the well-being of other people above yeah. my own. And he loses his fingers and toes. So Gannett's body ultimately disappeared under the snow, but Schmatt's body re- remains where she died on the mountain. And for years, Schmatt's remains could be seen by anyone attempting to summit Everest on the southern route. Her body was frozen in a sitting position, leaning against her backpack with eyes open and hair blowing in the wind about 100 meters above Camp 4. So in 1981, an expedition is led again by the same Sherpa who was with Schmatt's when she died. The one that lost the most one of his that lost, fingers and toes? Yes, the one that lost his fingers and toes. And he refused at first, because he did he had lost his fingers and toes so how is he gonna climb you know and the 1979 expedition but he was paid extra by a climber during the climb they passed schmatt's body and the climber that paid him was shocked thinking it was a tent and then he just said we didn't touch it i could see she had on her watch still that's all he said about it and then in 1984 a police inspector fell to their deaths while trying to recover schmatz's body on a nepalese police expedition so she's just stuck where she is like yeah, people have died trying to get down. to her yeah and can you imagine being that sherpa that sat there with that person who died and then having to go up on that same exact no. route where you lost your fingers and toes no and see the body that's still there all over again uh, yeah it's like a moment like the worst moment of your life frozen in time for you to go revisit literally I mean, this happened in night in the 1970s, and we're talking about 15 years later. People right. are giving accounts of this. Lane Gamelgard, the first Scandinavian woman to reach the peak of Everest, quotes in her Norwegian Mountaineer and Expedition book that they saw Schmatz's body, and this is what she said about it. It's not far now. I can't escape the sinister guard. Approximately 100 meters above Camp 4, she sits leaning against her pack as if taking a short break. A woman with her eyes wide open and her hair waving in each gust of wind. It's the corpse of Hannelore Schmatz, the wife of a leader of a 1979 German expedition. She summited but died descending. Yet it feels as if she follows me with her eyes as I pass by. Her presence reminds me that we are here on the conditions of the mountain. 
The wind oh eventually blew Schmatz's remain over the edge and down a ravine, and you can see her body there. Oh, wow. Is I she mean, wearing goggles? She's wearing goggles, and she's got, like, a beanie on. Yeah. That's so crazy. It's yeah, creepy. she's just, like, leaning against her pack. It lo- looks like she's just resting. I know. It's so creepy. I also wonder with all these dead bodies, is this going to be like 5,000 years from now people find... You know how we yeah. find people in bogs? Yeah, the like, bog bodies. Yeah, I think this is going to be the same thing. Same thing, yeah. Or like an alien comes down and is like, is this where there was human sacrifice to please <laughs> this mountain god? Like, why are there so many dead bodies here? Basically, yeah, it's kind of like that. So here's another dead body. That's George Mallory. Isn't that creepy? Oh, he's face down. He's face down. That is so creepy. Uh, And this photo is from 1999. So I'm going to tell you the story of George Mallory. So that body was George Mallory, who was the first person to, with a Sherpa, I should say, to get to the summit of Mount Everest. But we don't even know if he got to the summit or not because he died on the way down. So people think that he got to the summit, but we're not sure. And the craziest thing about it is they couldn't find his body for for half a century. And then someone randomly found his body. And when they found his body, they were looking for a camera uh, because supposedly they would, you know, take a photo of themselves at the summit so then they could see if they actually summited or not. And when they were observing the corpse, they saw that he had wounds from a rope tied around his waist. So what probably happened is his Sherpa fell and then pulled him off with him. Oh. Yeah. And then he had this giant hole in his skull so as he was sliding down the mountain he put out his ice pick in front of him to try to grab the snow and like save the side himself of the mountain yeah but he hit a rock on the way down that caused his head to go forward and then drove the edge of the ice pick into his skull oh my god isn't that horrific that is horrifying george mallory is for sure haunting that mountain oh yeah that's like final destination yeah it's like Straight no matter up. what, you're not going to get saved. Exactly. Yeah. Because not first, your Sherpa slips. Then your rope is tied to your Sherpa, so you fall. And then, then you try to use your ice yeah, pack. to catch yourself, but the ice pick goes into your skull. Like, the yeah, there's no way you. to avoid it. So now I'm going to tell you the story. There, There's this thing called the 1996 Everest disaster, which is almost a misnomer because it's not the deadliest day in Everest history. The deadliest day in Everest history was in 2014 when the uh, giant, like, ice slide fell on all those Sherpas and killed, like, I think 15 people in one day. Do you remember that? It yeah, was, like, I do. a piece of ice the size of a house fell on all these people randomly so i'm gonna tell you the story of this one person because it's literally so fucking crazy and he reminds me of you like this mountain is trying to kill him and he just keeps <laughs> fucking coming back and i don't i he is haunted because like the mountain could not take him oh okay? shit so is this the new liam neeson i don't know what this is i need your guys's help and opinion you guys tell me whether or not we should be happy for this guy or not okay okay so this is the story of beck weathers he was one of the few survivors of the 1996 everest disaster which is when you go see the movies about everest they always detail this expedition because there happened to uh, there happened to be a reporter journalist who was along like climbing and so obviously they're a you know a writer so they detailed everything that happened and then they had published a book called into thin air about this so i'm not going to go into too much detail because you can there's so much information out there i'm just going to talk about this one guy because he is straight up haunted beck weathers was a member of the 1996 everest expedition who became stuck in a blizzard which claimed the lives of eight people 
Beck Weathers was one of the members on the trip. He survived after nearly going blind, getting hypothermia, and woke up after a 15-hour coma. Jesus. A combination of ego, weather, and timing all contributed to the tragedy in one way or another. No one knows exactly why he awoke from the coma. So as the 1996 blizzard raged around him, Weathers, who was attempting to descend the mountain with a group of climbers, eventually lost consciousness and fell into a coma when a gust of wind blew him over. He was already weakened by his slowing heartbeat and quickly dropping body temperature. Weathers said that his last word before he entered a coma were, quote, I got this figured out. The others in his group reached safety, but rescuers thought Weathers was past the point that he could possibly recover. He miraculously woke up 15 hours after he entered the coma. He gained enough mental clarity to know that the sun was about to set and that he needed to reach safety. He was somehow able to muster enough energy after being in a 15-hour coma to hike for an hour and reach camp. (laughs) Even then, when he got to the camp, no one thought he would survive. Shortly before his attempt to summit Everest, Weathers had surgery on his corneas. He was left partially blind when his barely healed corneas reacted poorly to the high altitude. Weathers stopped climbing during the evening due to a complete lack of vision. He was blind and decided to resume his journey when the sun came up. He hoped that the light would allow him to see. But Weathers injured his cornea when he rubbed his eyes and accidentally scratched the right one with an ice crystal. It caused an imbalance in his depth perception, which basically made him blind. Weathers guide, Rob Hall, told him that he had to stop and Weathers complied. Hall, his guide, planned to climb up further the mountain, then return for Weathers, but Hall became stuck with another climber. Both Hall and the other climber died, and Weathers continued to wait for Hall's return, not knowing that he had already died. Climber and writer John Krakauer offered to help Weathers down the mountain, but Weathers refused, saying that he would wait until Hall got back. Oh my God. Weathers continued to wait as Krakauer was not part of Weathers' climbing team. Eventually, Mike Groom, another guide, was able to help Weathers down. It was a little too late by the time they reached the camp, and Weathers had hypothermia, hypoxia, and was delusional. The wind blew him over, and everyone thought he wouldn't make it any further. A doctor said he was close to death, and the group left, telling the others already that he had died. Weathers' wife saves his life now. So she finds out, oh, you know, your husband is at this camp. We can't hang out with him much longer. He's definitely going to die. She's on this trip too? She's not. She's at home in America. But, you know, she finds out. She's like, where's my husband? Because they call on a satellite phone at the end of each day and tell everyone like what went, what's happening. Okay. So they call her and they're like, you know what? He's gone. And she's like, well, where is he? I want to see his body. I want to get him down. And they're like, you can't get to him. It's too expensive. It's too, you know, it's just not going to happen. No one can fly up there. The oxygen's too thin. You can't take helicopters up there. No one can climb up there. You're not going to get to him. And by the time you get to him, he will be dead. So basically he's dead already. And she's like, well, fuck that. So she organized a helicopter rescue and the way that she did it is she reaches out she's from texas by the way oh yeah of course these people of course she's don't mess with texas you baby. don't so his wife reaches out to the texas state senator and the senate minority leader and then they call the u.s embassy and Kathmandu. and although many helicopter pilots won't take the mission because of the extreme altitudes like a helicopter can't literally fly up there the like there's no air for it to go on because the air is too thin they decided that they're going to do it anyways because she just like fucking told them to i guess yeah. i don't know so she must have given like a really impassioned speech and convinced some people that yeah. it was the right thing to do or she was like i'm gonna murder you all I yeah know. 
so Weathers eventually recovers psychologically and his physical injuries are extensive. Wait, he, so the helicopter's successful? It somehow got up there and she got him off and he somehow survived. Jeez. That's, even though people found him literally three times. He fell down on the mountain and injured a coma and they're like, all right, he's dead. Right. And then another guy like sees him later and is like, oh, we thought you were dead. You're not dead. Cool. I'm going to go get someone else. I'll come back for you. Just stay here. Do exactly what you've been doing because it's been working. I yeah. guess I'll yeah. see you in a minute. It, you know, time passes and then someone else comes and is like, hey, you look like you're about to die. If you want to come down with me? And he's like, no, I'm waiting on someone else who fucking died. Right. And then he falls back asleep and wakes up and is like, oh, the sun's about to set. I'm blind and just woke up from a coma, but I'm going to make it to camp. So he hikes for an hour blind somehow makes it down to the camp. And then when he gets to the camp, people literally think that they're seeing a ghost because they're like, how the fuck did he get here? And then once he gets there, they're like, well, he's definitely going to die. And we're going to leave him behind. And then his wife is like, no, I'm going to get him. And so she gets him and he has extensive uh, injuries because he just, you know, has been in his the corneas are frozen. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. He see. So he loses his right arm below the elbow. His left hand was reconstructed and his nose required skin grafts from everywhere else on his body, including his forehead. Doctors had to grow the skin before it was large enough to attach it to his nose. He was able to return as a pathologist four months after his hand surgery. And then when they made a movie about this, so, you know, so the actor that played him did an interview with him and asked him, oh, do you still climb? And he's like, no, I fly planes now. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? This dude's just a badass. I, is he? I don't know. Well, I, look, why? Anyone who's going to climb Mount Everest kind of has a death wish. Right. But the fact that he went through so much and still survived and everyone kept saying this dude's going to die, you're going to die. Like, and he was just like, no. And then his badass wife that's like, fuck you. I am sending a helicopter, even though it's in a completely different country. I am going to like contact my representative of local government to then contact the Senate minority leader to then contact the U.S. Embassy in Kathmandu to then contact a helicopter willing to fly up to that area to then like get him well the craziest part too is that he wrote a book about this called left for dead my journey home from everest and he revealed that in the 20 years prior to his attempt to summit everest he did struggle with severe depression and suicidal thoughts and he had dealt with the depression by pushing himself physically and like super extreme ways this is not his first climb that doesn't surprise me and also his wife was fucking gonna leave him unless he changed and after she saved his life he did change and then they became happily married oh that's so sweet i know but it literally yeah but it literally he like almost died that's what it took that's for him to change she had if to save this his is life. not an allegory for the condition of man i don't know what is you men are so fucking headstrong that it will take death for you to appreciate your woman so the reason i told you that story is because it's a good example of someone who's in the death zone who is able to get themselves down rationally and um continue on because the next stories that i'm going to tell you take place in the death zone and they're from the few people who have had near-death exam uh, encounters and they live to tell the tale about it because you know these other 288 bodies that are frozen on everest we don't know what their story is because they died right. they can't tell us what happened yeah. we just have to surmise from either hearing from other people in their group or looking at their body to see what happened so here we've heard about yetis possibly being mm-hmm. on this mountain 
We've heard about um, the physical stresses that you can go under, not enough oxygen. We've heard about the random spiritual shit, you know, like stepping over dead bodies and then you die or et cetera, et cetera. Now I'm going to tell you about strange flying objects that stalk the climbers. Strange flying objects that stalk the climbers? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. This is going to be my favorite. Mm -hmm. I already know. So British climber Frank Smythe attempted Everest several times in the 1930s. In June 1933, Frank Smythe suddenly sensed he wasn't alone as he descended from one of Mount Everest's notorious death zones. During a break from the arduous journey, he encountered the presence of a man. Smythe divided his mint cake and attempted to share half of it with a phantom companion. Sometime later, Smythe discovered two dark, bulbous objects hovering above him. He described one of the objects as having a squat, underdeveloped wings, while the other one possessed a beak-like protuberance like the spout of a tea kettle. The inexplicable objects remained pulsating over him until eventually disappearing in a passing mist. So I'm going to say what our listeners are thinking. If we're being skeptics, which we're not, but I'm just going to do it because I never do this, then it could be that he's hallucinating because he just came out of the death zone and he's like has that Haas problem where like he's all out of it. However, that's pretty creepy that he sensed a person there so distinctly that he tried to share some of his cake with it. So that is not the only time that people have sensed these, quote, third climbers, they call them. Uh-huh. And there's a bunch of stories of this happening. People getting into the death zone and feeling like there's a presence with them. Oh. I'm only going to tell you the ones that I think have the most evidence in quotes, right? Okay. So... In 1975, Dougal Hostin and Doug Scott claimed to sense a third climber, aiding their survival during one particularly brutal night on Mount Everest. Hostin and Scott were members of the first expedition that successfully climbed Mount Everest using an uncharted path. So their hiking method utilized finger holds, edges, and smears rather than the normal crack climbing. The ghostly mountaineer that the men encountered apparently provided extra company and encouragement. Haston and Scott claimed that the phantom climber helped them make it through the night and aided their survival and eventual summit to the top of Mount Everest. So they went on an uncharted path that nobody had ever gone on before. As Robert Frost might call it, they went down the path less traveled. Right. And a phantom climber ghost helped them find their way. Yeah. So they had basically they, you know, they're trying to take this chart that no one, this this uncharted path that no one's ever been on because all of these adrenaline junkies they want to be named after something on mount everest right so you have everest is named after a guy who's never even fucking seen it you have this thing called the hillary step which is this mount this like flat part right before you get to the summit that's named after sir edmund hillary then you have a bunch of other bullshit on the mountain that's named after other people i mean you fucking die on the mountain you gotta your name is green boots you know what i mean yeah so everyone wants to have something named after them but also not die so these guys are in a predicament because they're on this uncharted path and then all of a sudden they're which i don't these I, all of these climbers are just like oh, fucking horrible planners or something yeah. <laughs> i don't understand they always end up with no oxygen and no wish. food yeah. yeah so these guys have no food and they had problems with their oxygen supply like something went wrong with it so like half of their oxygen got used up or whatever and then they sensed a third climber with them in this they had to dig a snow hole into the ground they had to do like bear girl survival mode and when they're in this snow this like snow hole they're thinking wow this is where we're gonna die here you know 
this is the end of it for us. And instead, both of them feel this third presence who not only encourages them, but he shows them how to get back down and survive it. That's insane. It's like a guardian angel. I want to believe that that is a presence of a hiker that died on the mountain that is now acting as a guardian angel, helping people get down, get up and down. Right? Yeah. So a lot of people think that that's what some of these are. Here's another example of this happening. So not all the mountaineering ghost stories um, involve a third hiker. Jennifer Jordan's book, Savage Summit, which details the lives and feats of the first five women to climb K2, which is also in the Himalayas, presents a few accounts that would not be out of place in a book of ghost stories. Wanda, an accomplished Polish mountaineer who in 1986 became the first woman ever to climb K2, survived the descent and went on to climb several other 8,000-foot mountains before dying in her bid to climb Kachinjunga in 1992. After her death, Jordan writes that her friend was awoken in the middle of the night by a telephone call and upon answering heard Wanda's voice on the other end of the line delighted to hear her friend's voice she repeated hey we're all in despair where are you the voice responded I am cold I am very cold but don't cry everything will be fine but why aren't you coming back she persisted I cannot now, Wanda's voice said before the phone went dead. The voice was of this woman who supposedly had just died on this mountain. And who did she call? Somebody She's calling her friend. That was on the mountain as well? She wasn't on the mountain. So she was just calling her friend that was back in whatever country she's from. Right. But how did she do that? Yeah, I don't know. She didn't have a phone. That's insane. And she supposedly was already dead. No, I have the chills. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. So this is like days after this account happens. Wow. Isn't that crazy? And I think in our listener stories, we had heard of something like that happening to yeah, someone else before. Yeah, somebody's dad did that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then years later in 1992... Thor Kaiser and Scott Fisher, members of an all-American Russian team, were jolted out of an unusual quiet at the base camp by the sound of a voice coming over the communications radio. Camp 5 to base camp. Do you read? Over, the voice said. Both Kaiser and Fisher knew that no one was on the mountain at the time, and the voice was that of a British woman. So they think it was Wanda, the woman who died. So after this woman supposedly is already dead, she's calling people, Her, she's calling her friends, and saying oh i'm cold but it's okay i can't come back and she's dialing into this base camp saying hey do you read over so maybe it's her ghostly spirit doesn't even realize she's dead that's oh that's so upsetting to just imagine being dead and trying like not realizing that you're dead and trying so hard to be rescued that is heartbreaking so a lot like we said there's a lot of bad energy that's going up on this mountain and so why do the Sherpas who are people who you know think hey this is disrespectful to just be stepping over dead bodies and etc why are they helping these like sort of asshole climbers who are spending a bunch of money and putting their lives at risk and the Sherpas lives at risk to get to the summit of Mount Everest and also you know like seeing someone dying and being like nope fuck it I gotta get to the top anyways like why do you think that they're still helping them I think that the most reasonable explanation would be money because I imagine that in this part of the world, which is a developing nation, I believe they, this is probably like the most money you could ever make in your life. Like, okay, let's help these dumbass Westerners get up and down this mountain. They're going to pay us 30 grand and it's the most money like we've ever heard of in our lives. Maybe like if your family's living in poverty 
and this is going to help you. Here's what mentalfloss.com thinks. Ooh. The Sherpas, without whose help, so many ascents of Himalayan mountains would be impossible, view the Himalayas as both the embodiment and realm of the gods. Some feel that the disrespect for their sacred mountain has led to both bad karma and restless spirits. In May 2004, Pemba Dorji Sherpa was climbing Everest, a trip during which he had earned a disputed claim to the world's fastest ascent, when he encountered what he described as black shapes near the summit. Pemba says that the shapes were ghosts of climbers who died on the mountain and that the shapes approached him. They held out their hands, begging for something to eat. Pemba and other Sherpas believe ghosts will continue to haunt the mountain until a proper funeral rite can be performed for their souls. So they go up into the mountain because they don't want more people to die with and have their souls trapped there? So the Sherpas are not all of them, but the majority of them come from a Buddhist culture, whether or not they're practicing Buddhists isn't relevant. The culture is Buddhist. So it's a very pacifist culture where they believe that you can reach, you know, nirvana or reach enlightenment by getting enough good karma. Okay. So if you see this like dumbass person who's about to go kill themselves and you're like, wow, I'm the only person who can make sure they don't kill themselves and they're going to do it with me or without me. That's a, that's a lot of karma for you. Right. right, but then why accept money? Doesn't that ruin the karma? Well, that's part of it, right? So you're so they're like, maybe that's why some of these expeditions go bad. Oh. Maybe if their heart's not pure. Maybe it's like, you know, when Harry Potter looks into the mirror and he can have the philosopher, the sorcerer's stone because he oh, doesn't have yeah. bad will. Hmm? Mm. You thought of that? I didn't think of that, but now my mind is reeling. I think the most interesting thing out of all the stories that you've told me today, of course, I'm super interested in the Yeti, but I'm also fascinated by this presence of like a phantom climber mm -hmm. that's helping people because it's not just one guy you know, with a lack of oxygen to his brain that's saying this. It's like groups of hikers are feeling the same presence at the same time. I mean, people are literally walking over dead bodies. You know, we have that quote from the woman who says, uh, I saw this German, you know, lady kneeling over or she's laying against her pack and I couldn't escape that sinister feeling. Yeah, like the her eyes followed me as right, I walked by. Exactly. Yeah. So whether or not you believe in ghosts, there's physical dead bodies all around you. Bad you. vibes. Yeah. And so that same Sherpa who was making the fastest ascent, which is the climb to the top, who talked about those people at the top, thinks that they are haunting there because they haven't had a funeral rite that's performed. Right. So before anyone climbs Mount Everest, they have this like blessing that happens where you literally go through this whole like rite of passage with the Tibetan Sherpas and they bless you and do all this like special thing to help, you know, the gods like not take your life when you go up to the top. So he thinks that the reason these people are haunting is because they didn't have a proper burial. So their souls are like still, you know, haunting. And the reason I brought up that you have to be blessed before you climb the mountain is because I'm trying to uh, relay the importance of how they believe like the mountain decides whether or not you make it up to the top. Pemba Dorji, a Sherpa who was 26, that scaled the 8,848 meter peak in just eight hours and 10 minutes said that he saw black shadows near the summit on the way up. He said, quote, when I was on my way to setting the record, I stopped briefly at three points between 8,000 and 8,740 meters to drink tea. That's in the death zone, by the way. 
When I stopped at a mound of rocks, I saw some spirits in the form of black shadows coming towards me, stretching their hands and begging for something to eat. I think those were the spirits of many mountaineers killed during and after the ascent of Mount Everest. The bodies of many of those who died are still up on the mountain, and one climber who died from an accidental fall is still hanging from a rope. Oh my god. More than 200 people have died attempting to reach the highest place on Earth, but skeptics say that the spirits Pemba claimed to see could be figments of his imagination induced by the stress of the ascent into thin air of Everest. Karma Krishna Shrestha, one of Nepal's leading scientists and academics, dismissed the account as induced by fatigue. Quote, I think Pemba's comment on the spirit may be his illusion or hallucination from physical fatigue while climbing. The appearance of the spirits on Everest would be believable only if it has been seen also by someone else. He said that in 1999, when George Mallory's body was found, that none of the mountaineers were talking about any spirits. Mallory and fellow Briton Andrew Irvine died on Mount Everest in 1924, and mystery continues to this day about whether they, not Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay in 1953, were the first to conquer the world's highest peak. So that's the body I was talking about where they wanted to find his camera, the camera, right? right? And so if we're going to go along with this theory that it's these uh, spirits that are haunting, then if that guy reached the summit and never was able to tell people that he did it, what better motivation for a ghost to haunt the fuck out of everyone to be like, hey, look, I did this. Yeah. The wrong guy's getting the credit. Right. It was me. Yeah. And have they searched him for a camera? Like, have they tried to open his jacket and see if his camera is like inside his jacket somewhere? They've tried to find the camera around, but also, you know, people are kind of iffy about touching this. Right. Yeah. Because they don't want to get haunted. Yeah, I feel that. Um, But I also the skeptic that was saying, oh, it would only be credible if two people saw it. Well, we just told the story of the how those two people felt that third presence in their ice cave. Right. And the person that shared their mint cake. Yeah, exactly. Pemba is embroiled in a controversy of his own, with the tourism ministry investigating claims by Lakpu Sherpa, who was previously verified the fastest Everest climber, that the weather was too foul and there was no witnesses to ascertain Pemba's feet. Uh. So there's another person who's saying, hey, this guy who says he made this climb in this record amount of time and saw these spirits or whatever, he could not even be telling the truth. Yeah, because, because there's no witness that saw it. Exactly. So Milan Shakya, an anthropologist at the university in Kathmandu, said the belief in spirits is common in Nepal. Quote, before setting out for a mountain climb or any type of marine voyage, special rituals are performed and protective amulets are worn so that in the event of accidental death, one can achieve salvation. But Pemba, a Buddhist, said he wore a locket from Tibet's exiled spiritual leader, the Dalai Lama. Quote, I was not scared of the spirits thanks to a locket I had of the Dalai Lama and an amulet presented by the senior monks of the Buddhist monastery in the Everest region before starting the climb. Ang Tring Sherpa, president of the Nepal Mountaineering Association, endorsed Pemba's proposal to perform mass rites for the Everest dead. Quote, we believe in the existence of the spirits of the dead and feel the need to perform death rituals, he said. So the reason I gave you, I said that article with all those conflicting opinions is because I'm also trying to bring more awareness into 
how little agreement there is between any of the locals that Everest is haunted or not haunted, that people have climbed it or not climbed it. It's just kind of this place of chaos. You've got all these dead bodies. You've got yetis walking around. There's people talking to ghosts. You might have possible UFOs with like tea kettle beaks. Plus you got this guy that says he climbed it faster than anyone else. And he's like just sipping tea and (laughs) spirits are coming to him begging to be fed. And he's like, you know what? These people need funeral rites. I'm going to, you know, get the ability to do funeral rites for them. And then you have a scientist from the area who's saying that's bullshit. And then you have someone else saying he didn't even climb to the top of it. And then you've got president of the Mountaineering Association of Sherpa saying, you know what? You should perform those funeral rites. I believe that. I mean, is that Sherpa that saw that shared his tea with the outstretched arms of dead climbers? Is he similar to the guy at AlienCon that said that he could release spirits into the afterlife. Oh, right. Can he help them pass on? Yes. Can Pimby help these people pass on by channeling them and screaming into the sky and then releasing their souls? It's basically just a story of like, who can we trust? You have people saying they did something and they don't even know if they did it or not. Were they hallucinating? We don't know. Yeah. But then you have people who weren't even on the mountain who said they got a phone call or like a call to the yeah, base camp. Yeah, that's crazy. From people who don't exist. But then to add more fucking drama to this. So of the 288 bodies that are up there, they repeatedly find more corpses every single day. And one time they even found a tent with four people who had all died on the side of the mountain. And none of them were claimed by either of the governments. So these people were non-registered climbers. That's super sketch. So you don't even know how many people up there. It could literally be people materializing from another dimension, just showing oh, up. Oh shit, I didn't even think about that. Like don't even or time know. travelers that are just trying to get to Nepal, but they land on the mountain by accident. <laughs> and then they're just like, what do I do? Yeah, I guess we'll just like build a tent and die. I'm going to show you pictures of the summit of Mount Everest. I'm sure you've seen it before, right? It's got all yeah, these Tibetan anyway. prayer I'm super interesting. flags. Okay, so here's some photo there's a photo of people climbing to the top so there's like often super long lines at everest so yeah that was this past year right this yeah past climbing season tons of tons of um yeah climbers in line mm-hmm. yeah i remember reading that article and i think phil philip defranco covered it on his youtube channel about how the tibetan government is being accused of being um greedy right now because they were issuing too many uh licenses to climb last climbing season and it caused like the most deaths um and injuries out of all of the climbing seasons because people were literally lined up standing in the death zone for way too long while people were going to the top taking the photo and then and then going back down so to go back to this like buddhism haunted karma thing the tibetan buddhism emphasizes compassion and selflessness in order to reach enlightenment it's a pacifist religion that's focused on the preservation and respect for all living things this religious background explains much of the differences between the sherpa mindset and the western approach to mountaineering to attain enlightenment buddhists must not perform religious acts for their own sake but rather for others this selflessness translates into the sherpa profession of guiding the climbers and sometimes sacrificing their own safety for others. Many Sherpas also do not view the goal of reaching the top of Mount Everest as a means of personal glory, likely because it goes against the grain of their religion. Instead, the summit of the mountain is merely a way to draw closer to the Buddhas for Sherpas. 
For that reason, Sherpas have left offerings to the gods at the top of Everest. Nevertheless, some feel that spiritual devotion inherent in the land has given way to worldly pleasures. For Sherpas involved in the climbing industry, Kumbo has become a lucrative location. Many climbers pay around 65,000 American dollars per expedition, with Sherpas earning upwards of $2,000 a trip. Compared to Nepal's per capita gross national income of $331 in 2007, successful guides can grow rich by local standards. So they're getting $2,000 per trip per Mm -hmm. each person when their yearly national income is $331. So I was right. That's why they're doing it. Well, some of them are. But then, you know, some of them really do believe that they're going to get to enlightenment. And I think that if your intention is pure, then maybe the Mount Everest God lets you go up. And if your intention isn't pure, then the Mount Everest God sends a big ass blizzard. So, but then remember that guy from Texas? Yeah. And it like couldn't kill him, even though he was a bad husband and kind of a dick. Yeah. I guess the devil's just like, you know what? I got this soul. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe that is a classic example of no matter how shitty of a human being you are, you are never incapable of salvation and being redeemed and like turning your life around. Right. You can constantly be redeemed or saved. Yeah. It's all about your willpower and the choices you make. So maybe he was a shitty person and this mountain was like, your karma sucks Mm -hmm. and I'm gonna like take your life right now and then he was able to make that decision of i'm i recognize i'm a shitty person who's done shitty things but i am going to make the most of what i have and i am gonna fight through this and i'm gonna turn my life around yeah maybe he literally died maybe that 15 hour coma he died and he you know went and talked to the mount everest god and was like give me another chance give me another chance he fought off those demons and those ghosts and those aliens and yetis and he made it so let's recap the haunted things about everest one frozen bodies everywhere Mm -hmm. two yeti yeti three ufos phantom climbers restless souls that can't move on to the other side it's a the mountain is a god yes and causing weather Mm kind of like how the superstition mountains where the lost dutchman's gold is does have a lot of parallels to the lost dutchman's treasure maybe there's treasure buried underneath the snow of this mountain how would we know Plus, you have the guy who supposedly was the first person to get to the summit, died on his way down, and Mm -hmm. hasn't been able to prove he did it unless someone finds the camera. That would be so annoying if I was that guy and, like, the camera's underneath my jacket and I'm, like, just fucking touch my corpse and get the camera out. But everyone's like, oh, no, can't do that. Can't disturb him. Right. That's hell then for yeah. him. Because sure. you know, you're like, it's right here. It's right here because he was face down. Yeah. He's probably like, flip me over, dude. Like, find my camera. Can you think of a better hell for someone whose like sin was being too prideful than to just be in your death, oh. your afterlife, standing over your body, no. waiting for someone to discover this like thing that legitimizes you? And, you know, here's a here's an interesting thought. Global warming. Will that mountain one day thaw and now all of these bodies are going to be accessible and you can bring them down and see if George Mallory had the camera on him and like see what else is up there and will the Yeti's natural habitat become destroyed and now we can prove that the Yeti exists look I don't want this but I'm telling you is that what's going to happen and then those souls can move on you know I think for all of the like cryptid stuff we've had like with the Mothman and we haven't done Bigfoot but we've talked about Bigfoot this yeti stuff to me is like the most compelling evidence because we literally have dna from a scalp Mm -hmm. and you have a poop with an unknown parasite and we have a 
a haunted bone hand a bone hand that's that was similar to a from human. a church wow but then replaced so it's like all right and now that when once you said he returned it i'm like i kind of get it because if someone was like look i have this skeleton of a chupacabra but right. no you can't get it analyzed i'd be like fuck you we're I getting know. it analyzed yeah yeah now once you said he returned it i didn't hate him anymore i kind of like understand where he's coming from what supernatural aspect of this story do you believe in so a little okay here's something i, I wasn't going to talk about but i guess i will now i've read this book into thin air because mm-hmm. i had a pilates client who was obsessed with mount everest and was telling me everything about it and was telling me you know she had read this book so i had to read this book and whatever And then I read the fucking book and I was like, fuck it. I'm going to climb Mount Everest. I'm going to raise money. I'm going to go do this. That's going to be my goal. When I'm 30, I'm going to go climb Mount Everest. And then as time went on, I started thinking about it and I was like, why do I want to climb Mount Everest? What, like, why do I want to do that? And then I started thinking about it and I was like, actually, this is just like my Western greed and pridefulness wanting to be like, I climbed Mount Everest, right? Mm -hmm. So now I have this theory that if you're like this very prideful person who's suffering from depression or you know like having a death wish climbing mount everest it like calls to you in the same way that it called to that like beck weathers guy Mm -hmm. right because he said he was he was like struggling with suicidal thoughts and depression and and he was doing all this crazy stuff and it like the mountain just like called to him like why would all these people want to do this so i think that this mountain is like this pinnacle of energy that is you know it's this very spiritual place so i almost think it's just kind of like a judgment mountain right like if you have a pure will you go up and you have no expectations you survive because you don't get the summit fever when the weather's bad you respect it and, and you turn like, around and go you back. turn around and you go back and you're like wow that you try experience again was some great. other time mm-hmm. right But then if you're this really prideful person who wants fame and who wants, you know, is like so stuck on this idea of getting to the top of this, then you get the summit fever and it eventually kills you, which is a good parallel to life. People who don't have expectations and kind of like live, you know, just being happy in the moment and in the present and they don't look so far ahead, they are genuinely more happy, I think, than people who are just constantly like, if I don't get this goal, then I'm just not a valuable person. Yeah, definitely. Definitely Mount Everest is haunted. I think anytime you have that many people dying violently, um, unsuspectingly. And if there's someone in life who, who was that prideful and kind of like their soul is lost and tormented, like what I was talking about, then when they die, they're definitely going to be haunting. Mm-hmm. Like you said, that was a good point about George Mallory. Like what worse hell could there possibly be than having your body stuck there and your soul possibly stuck there while no one and no one ever knowing whether or not you did this great accomplishment that your entire life was built up to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? I think that, like I said, my favorite part is this idea of phantom climbers. I think that in my opinion, if we believe those people, right, and yeah. they really did have phantom climbers helping them, I think that it's definitely the spirits of people that didn't make it down. Do you think they're good spirits or bad spirits? I think they're good spirits because they're helping people get down. So maybe when they... Get down or get up, depending. Yeah, maybe when they died, they had this chance to help other people and they yeah. just took it. Maybe that's how they can get their move karma. on. Yeah, maybe, yeah, exactly. That's how they can move on to the other side is by helping these other climbers successfully 
ascend or descend the mountain. Do you think you could make it to the top? No, fuck no. If I can't even make it through this fucking kidney infection that I've had for like two weeks. Who has a kidney infection for two weeks? I don't know. You could already be dead. I'm, I look at right now and I feel it. So it's possible. This might be my last Let's Get Haunted episode. You guys, episode. Venmo us. Venmo us so that I can go to the hospital. Here in America, <laughs> here in America, I have to make decisions every day about how important and valuable is my life. Is it worth getting a possibly $2,000 bill from mm. the hospital to go see if I have blood poisoning or not right now? No. No, it's not. Yeah. Because yeah. then when you're fine, you're going to be like, oh, I wasted $2,000. Right. Yeah. And let us know what you guys think. What's your favorite part of this story? This is this is a doozy. I tell you what. I know. It's so like I'm glad we finally talked about the Yeti. It's so confusing to me this story because on the one hand I'm like, oh this is cool climbing Mount Everest. And then on the other hand I'm like, dude, you can't be stepping over dead bodies yeah. to get to a goal of yours, you know. I think that that one guy's right. They have to perform funeral rites for all of these bodies. I think so, too. In order to make it right. Are you going to do our sign-off? Yeah. Um, BRV, <laughs> got to go find George Mallory's lost camera and free his soul by proving that he was the first to reach the summit. Perfect. Woo! Bye. Talk to you later, guys. Bye. Hey guys, it's Nat. I just wanted to shout out my sources before the episode ends. I used wikipedia.com, ranker.com, allthatsinteresting.com, people.howstuffworks.com, YouTube for the video, mentalfloss.com. It was an article called Ghost Stories World Tallest Peaks. I also used www.iol.co.za slash news slash world slash Everest hyphen is hyphen haunted hyphen by hyphen spirits hyphen 214847. Uh, yeah. So, oh, also Google. So thanks for listening. I love you guys. And I also want to climb Mount Everest and I want Alyssa to do it too. So if anyone by chance uh, could just like give us $30,000 American dollars, then I think I could get Alyssa to do it and vlog it. We could just hike up to the base camp also. Um, Yeah, so just think about it. Let's manifest 2020 slay.